This is your Other Brothers Podcast. Welcome, friends, to your other brother's podcast, Navigating Faith, Homosexuality, and Masculinity Together. From the Jewel of the Blue Ridge, my name is Tom. I'm so glad you are here. We got an incredible episode. I have, a, I have a sneaking feeling this is going to be an incredible episode. From the City of Oaks, Raleigh, North Carolina, let's go to our other brother, Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hello, everyone. Ryan, it's so good to see your face right now. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and <laughs> and coming to us today from the sunny tundra, it is our other brother, Aaron, from California today. What's up, Aaron? Hello. Yeah, everybody in the uh, folksy tundra needs to take a break from it every so often and get somewhere sunny. <laughs> You're taking the tundra west. As far as I know, our very first... California correspondent now on the Yavcast. Our dear friend Ooh. Keegan came on the Convocast. I'm, I'm trying to think if anyone else has ever checked in from California. Forgive me if I'm forgetting someone, but but it's nice to have you there on the other side. We, we are literally now coast to coast, you guys, from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Look at us. <laughs> what, a, what a thing this is. Yeah, you guys, this is, I'm really excited for this episode. Well, a couple things. Um, I'm always excited for the Yobcast and being able to connect with people that I love. But today we were talking about something that is very intriguing to me. Um, Aaron, you actually are the, the spearhead for this topic. Um, not that we're running low on topics, by mind you, like we have so many things that we want to still talk about. Um, but Aaron, I know since uh, a couple months ago when you started getting more involved with the podcast, like you brought this up as a potential topic and not only as a topic, but bringing a guest along with it to like help inform us on the topic. Um, and that's covenant friendship. So what a thing. Do you want to like tease the audience real quick and tell us who you, who you've invited to the zoom call later? Yeah, this is something that is near and dear to my heart. I took um, a class from a professor in college uh, called covenant relationships and he is by far the most well-informed person I know on covenant theology, and he does a great job of going over uh, the covenant of the church and the covenant of marriage, and he actually also goes pretty deep dive into covenant friendship. Um, and not only was a topic that he covered very important to me, but throughout my time at college, I got to know him, and he was definitely an influential mentor to me of helping me sort through my sexuality and come to terms um, with the idea of celibacy and how to maybe do that in a way that's actually joy-filled and not just miserable. <laughs> celibacy, more than misery. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm excited to, to meet this guy and to hear what he has to say. We've got that conversation coming in just a little bit. But before we get there, Ryan, you and I shared a wonderful moment, a series of moments really together. 
um, this past weekend by by hitting the, the the seven seas. We hit the seven seas together with some friends and and came out of it stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very uh, stronger than ever, if a little damp. <laughs> damp, yes. <laughs> damp, splashed. Yeah, we we went whitewater rafting. First times, right? First time for you. First yeah, time first for time for me. Um, it was so fun. Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna talk too much about it, but like a couple of standout moments from that trip, Ryan was. Um, you know, we had, we had this awesome guide who, who led us, who made us believe that we were in control when I honestly believe we were doing nothing. Like we were, he told, <laughs> we t- he told us to paddle and we did, but like, I feel like he was the one in the back, just like completely uh, yeah. steering us where we need to go. Ultimately. I feel like we all paddled a total of like 16 <laughs> times. Uh, and the rest of it was just him. Yeah. So super, yeah. Super empowering, um, to be able to, 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 to put this little raft down and down a raging river at times. Um, but some other moments we, we jumped off a rock, like a really tall rock, like mighty men. That was, that was fun. I had some trepidation and then a lot of water in my nose after that. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Um, and then, but, but by far my favorite part, I know it was your favorite part, Ryan was one of the other guides on the boat. You guys, I wish I mean, just <laughs> verbally painting this picture, I feel like it's not going to do it justice, whatever, whatsoever. But there was this other guide because there was like seven or eight rafts that went out with our party. And so there's this other guide, like middle-aged guy who had this like baggy flannel shirt um, and sitting just, I don't even know, sitting so lackadaisically on the back of the raft with his legs crossed. This is the image I want to get across to everyone. Because you you picture going down a raging river. You don't picture someone sitting on the back of the boat with their legs crossed and just like. <laughs> yeah, he was just, he was just like casually perched on the back of perched, his raft. Yeah. Legs crossed, not not quite like a knee over knee, like um it's like shin over shin, like a low leg cross. Yeah, it was it, it was yeah, it, it's difficult to describe, but but yeah, he was like my spirit animal. Like I just want to be going through the 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 raging rapids of life's turmoil mm. and just kind of perched relaxedly yeah. on the back of my raft, just like doing a little paddle every once in a while, whenever it's truly necessary. <laughs> right. He was, we just, we, cause during the course of the couple hours on the river, like we would pass each other. So we would always be in sight of each other, but like, it was just so fun. It's not like he did that for 10 seconds and then was in like super rafting mode. Like, no, that was easily like 90% of the, the time he's just perched there. Like, like I was joking. He, all he needed was like a little, like a cup of espresso to be drinking along the way while he's like with one hand while he's like paddling and just lying there and taking complete control of his raft. It was, it was a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing to behold. (laughs) Just, just thought I'd, uh, yeah, share, share that wonderful visual from our, our, our rafting weekend together. It was, it was a blast. So much fun. Well, you guys, I I don't want to, this isn't bad news. This isn't hear me out. This is not bad news, but this is our last episode for, a little while. And the reason it's our last episode for a little while, I struggle to say season finale because I just struggle to use the words seasons with podcasts. It doesn't jive with me for some reason, but, but whatever, call it for what it is. This is the last episode in a long string of episodes that we've done in 2021. Um, and we're going to take a little break. And the reason we're taking a little break is because we are officially having our first Yabbers retreat since May of 2019. Like 
two and a half years ago is so crazy to me that it was that long ago. But, um, but because of COVID, because of the pandemic, we just had no way to meet together um, for the last year and a half. So, um, so we're finally doing it. We're finally doing that later this summer. And um, as a result, just taking a little bit of a podcast break to pour into that, prepare that and make it hopefully the best retreat we've ever done. That's always the hope, right? So, um, so we're going to take a little break for the next several, several weeks and we'll be back um, before long with, with another string of episodes taking us to the end of the year. So, so stay tuned for that. I just want to, I always like to verbalize that because I don't want people to think like, oh my gosh, four weeks have gone by and they haven't done a new episode. What's, what's going on? Where, what happened? Where did they go? So, so we'll be back before long. Um, and what I've learned is that it really is helpful as someone hosting the show and editing the show. Like it is helpful for me to have like defined periods of break, um, if I could do a hundred episodes a year, I would like, I would love to do this show every other week for the rest of my life. But, um, is it sustainable? You know, can that, can that pace be kept up with? And, and it's become clear that that is not, that is not doable. So, and that's okay. Like, I like the idea of for the foreseeable future, like a month or two break in the summer, a month or two break, um, over the holidays, um, like November, December, January, and, and then being consistent then in all the other, all the other weeks in between. So that's, that's the hope, um, for those that have listened or longtime listeners, or if you're new to the show, um, that's, that's the rhythm I'm hoping to lock into. And, and I'm grateful for guys like Ryan, Aaron, and, um, and others who are helping out and pouring into these, these regular gatherings. Cause they, uh, it means a lot to hear from people all these years later that, that this show, this show that people are still discovering for the first time that they are just finding a sense of home and uh, a sense of camaraderie here with us. So, so we're so glad to have you and, and we promise we'll be back. <laughs> so, so stay tuned. No voicemails today, but if you want to leave a voicemail for us to come back to when we come back from our retreat break, that would bless me so much. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, um, we always love getting them. I always love hearing them. 706-389-8009. Leave us a call. And before we get into this episode, we are so thrilled with our sponsor. They jumped in. They jumped in from the 90s to sponsor this episode on Covenant Friendship. And of course, it is Friendship Bracelets. Thank you, Friendship Aww. Bracelets, for adding a little pizzazz. Always there for us. Always dangling on our wrists for weeks, maybe months, and then we get tired of them and put them away. <laughs> but then they, but they, they exist. They still exist. Just if you could, just if they're not on your wrist, they're still a friendship bracelet. When does a friendship bracelet cease to be a friendship bracelet? When the friendship ends, which is never, <laughs> which is never, which is, yeah, which is what we're talking about today. Friendship that never ends. Um, friendship bracelets. Thank you for wrapping yourself around this episode. All right. Well, why don't we dive into our main topic today? And Aaron, I feel like you would be the person to intro our guest today since you know who he is. So why don't you take it away, Aaron? Absolutely. Yeah. So today we've got Dr. Paul Eddy, who's going to discuss covenant friendship with us. Um, Paul is a professor of biblical theological studies at Bethel University. He's got his PhD from Marquette. He's authored a bunch of books, um, recently authored one that some of you may have seen uh, called Understanding Transgender Identities. It's a Four Views book that he does a great job of putting together uh, with another professor of mine. And um, I met Paul when I was in college. He taught at my, my university, and I took a class from him that was Covenant Relationships. Uh, covenant Friendship is just one of those relationships that he talks about. But 
Um, Paul, I think is a great person to come in and kick off this sort of conversation for us. I don't know anybody uh, who knows covenant relationships better than he does or covenant friendship. Um, he was interacting with texts like spiritual friendship by Wesley Hill when nobody else in the Christian world was. And he's been a, a mentor and a good brother to me. He's probably loved me and seen and heard me about as well as anybody has in the church, um, particularly as an SSA person who I am, you know, it's, it's helpful having, you know, our straight brothers coming alongside us and paying attention, um, when nobody else is. So with that, I'll let, let Paul just kind of introduce himself any more that he wants to, and then kick into maybe just a little intro on, uh, covenant relationships and covenant friendship. Hey, thank you, Aaron. And I'll, let me just say it is, it's not, this is not a perfunctory statement. It's an honor for me to be here uh, with you folks. Um, yeah, so I think Aaron did a, a good introduction. Uh, the only other things I'd say about myself, I'm also a, uh, a part-time teaching pastor at Woodland Hills Church in, in St. Paul. And um, actually right now, uh, relocated for a few weeks uh, down south. We live in Minnesota, of course, but we're down in Florida for my wife's health. So I have my wife, Kelly, and my two sons, Jordan and Justin. We're both Bethel students, and that's my family. So, uh, but yeah, again, it's really an honor to be with you guys. Um, yeah, so a covenant relationship, covenant friendship. Um, I learned about the idea when I was 26 years of age, and I've been literally gripped by it ever since. The, the first day I heard of it was a sermon. And that sermon fundamentally changed my sense of my relationship with God. And I've been really on a quest ever since. That was, boy, that was uh, summer of 85. So I've been on a quest ever since to understand uh, covenant in, in its depths ever since. I would, my, my basic working definition of covenant, and by covenant, I don't mean everything that the Bible happens to use the word covenant for in scriptures, because it's it's rather really a very flexible term, uh, berit in the Hebrew or um, diatheke in, in the New Testament. But what I see God God's heart being centered on in covenant is a relationship that produces family out of people who are not familyed. And, and so to me, that's that's the power of covenant. It takes the non-familyed or the unfamilyed and literally uh, brings out of nothing, uh, or at least not out of, out of non-family, it brings family. And it does that through promise, simply through the promise of the spoken word. And so what I see covenant doing is very much what I see God doing in Genesis chapter one, bringing something out of nothing. In this particular case, bringing family relationships out of non-family people simply by the vow. Of, of of covenant love, and that, that to me that's a miracle. It's I, I only see two ways of being family: blood and covenant. And uh, covenant is that which can cross ethnic barriers and racial barriers and and socioeconomic barriers and bring family uh, in in non-family situations. So that's that's to me what covenant is broadly. Um, and when we say covenant friendship, I, I think now we're just particularizing uh, this this really this power of covenant to the relationship of friendship, which, if I think if we're honest with ourselves, has been a, a relationship in the modern world that's been largely demoted to accidental relationships, to casual relationships. And we've lost 
a lot of the power of, of friendship of the ancient world, I think covenant friendship can recapture that for us. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, I was kind of, as we went into this, I went, hmm, I wonder how he's going to be able to condense down an entire semester's worth of material. <laughs> how did I do, Aaron? <laughs> you did a great job and you're so succinct. So I, really I was like telling, that. yeah, I was telling Ryan, this is so fun. Cause I, I love school. I, I, I was an ace. I not to brag. I was an A student and I just loved learning, but I haven't been in school in like however many years, 11, 12 years now. And so I was like, man, it's so exciting. I feel like I get to go to school for like 20, 30 minutes, you know, just the condensed version, but yeah, no, that was beautiful. Thanks. Thanks for laying that out. Yeah. I've been taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) I see you. Yeah. I see you taking notes over there. There you go. I love that. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. And I think for this community, chosen family is a really important topic of discussion because we do sort of feel that loss for those of us who are trying to remain celibate, um, you know, feeling like we're missing out on the family component that many people in the church and in the culture get through same, you know, through relationships or through marriage or other things like that. Um, but you actually had the chance to perform a covenant friendship ceremony. And I think you've only done one. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, maybe you could just talk a little bit about that and that experience and how those people found each other and ended up choosing each other as family. Yeah, yeah. So for years, um, I think, I, I, well, I started in Bethel in 95 in my very first class. Uh, they said, what do you want to teach? And I said, covenant, and they let me do it. So I've been teaching this covenant class since 1995. And I always mention covenant friendship as a category that we've lost in our culture. And I've had over the years, you know, a student here, a student there will come up to me after class and say, hey, I'm kind of intrigued with this covenant friendship idea. I got a best friend. Uh, they're like a sibling, but I'd like them to be a sibling. And I've had some conversations where we've talked about what that might look like, but it wasn't until, let's see, this would have been um, summer of 2012, that I had some students who had been in my classes several years earlier and were currently in seminary. There was a group of women. And uh, I think four of them had been in my class at one point, and there was nine of them now, all in seminary together, who were beginning to feel like God was calling them to something more than just friendship. But they really didn't know what that was. And then one of them remembered, hey, we had this you know, Dr. Eddie guy who talked about covenant friendship. Maybe we should talk to him. So we spent, um, spent much of the summer of 2012 meeting to talk about what what again what was covenant what what how does this intersect with friendship and really the important question might god be calling them to something like like covenant friendship and as they stepped into leaned into that discernment process they came to the conclusion um after about six months of processing this that yes that they were being called to to covenant and now here's where this gets a little bit not tricky, but but I think we have to keep this in mind, particularly as Christians. We have to remember that we are already covenant siblings. Uh, when you say yes to Jesus and I say yes to Jesus, we don't need a second covenant to make us siblings. Our covenants with Jesus instantly put us into siblinghood covenant with every member of, of the family of Christ on the planet. And so I I want us to be careful not to think that we have to add a covenant to be siblings. We already are. What 
the tr challenge I think is, is it's really hard to be family to 1 billion people, you know, the, or whatever the size of the church is today on the planet. The problem is when your family gets too big, you start to get the sense that this isn't really family because no one can, can manage a family of 1 billion people. I mean, let's be honest, uh, Woodland Hills, we have, I don't know, around a thousand uh, folks who, who I think call their church, our church, their home in the Twin Cities. And that's too large of a family to be family on any meaningful basis. And so uh, I've used the idea of, of, of biological family in terms of, say, extended family, and then in terms of uh, nuclear family to have us think about how we actually do family biologically. I have an extended Eddie family that's probably got 50, 60, 70 people in the Twin Cities, but I don't see them that much. It's my nuclear family that I, I live with and actually do family with. I think in the body of Christ, we have to ask the same question. We have a billion brothers and sisters, but who, to, 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 to colloquialize this, who do I go home to? I can't just go home to any Eddie family and say, hey, I'm home, because God's called me to a particular family to be doing 24-7 family with. I think in the church, we have not asked that question. We, and I'll just, I honestly, I think what we've done is we have turned the nuclear family, the biological nuclear family, into an idol in this culture. I think it's happening, been happening for the last 200 years in the West, ever since the Romantic period hit Europe. And I think the church has fallen right into that trap without critically analyzing what we've done to biological family through the lens of the kingdom. And instead, we've bought into the idolization of marriage, sex, and romance. Uh, and, and think now we think that that's Christian, when I, I don't think that's Christian at all. Uh, I think we've left out of that paradigm every unmarried person is now having to live something like a second-class Christian existence. And if we instead placed a kingdom family at the center of our paradigm of family, I think we could recover not only covenant friendship as a really important category, but we could put marriage back in its place where it's not an idol to threaten the kingdom, but rather one potential calling that some of us in the kingdom have while others have other callings, maybe to covenant friendship, uh, maybe to a, a number of realms of covenant, but all of us to covenant siblinghood as brothers and sisters in Jesus. I think that should be the primary category, not marriage. And then, oh yeah, we'll figure out what to do with single people in our church because, well, you got to do something. That's probably an overly long answer, but I've got a passion about this that the church needs to wake up to uh, that hasn't for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, I had a quick jump in question about that, like, because I can see your passion and I, I loved hearing that. I'm sure there's amens happening around the listenership uh, and around the universe uh, as they listen to this. But my question is, I guess, for, for other straight people, for other pastors, for other people in the church, like, do you encounter a similar fervor or spirit? Or is it just easier to be like, you know what, if people just got married, if they just had families, that would make everyone's lives easier. So let, let's just get the singles to 
to get married. Like, do you, do you see that in other contacts that you have other ministry leaders? Um, just like sharing that same, that same spirit about this issue. That's fun. It's a great, great question, Tom. Uh, honestly, my general experience is no, I don't. I, I, I don't sense that most Christian leaders that I'm aware of have even raised this question. But here's the thing, because I do have a passion for this, this tends to come out of my mouth in a lot of different contexts. And I'll have to say that usually when it does, I find that it resonates with people. I find that it resonates with other pastors. It's just that it's never been a question that's been posed to them before. And what this tells me is, and it shouldn't surprise us, the church for 2,000 years, I think, it finds itself enculturated in the culture it happens to find itself in. It's sort of a tautology, but that's just what happens to us. And I, I, I think the church loves this idea of being countercultural. But to be countercultural means we have to be critically thinking about the culture that the church has become. And that requires us to have other voices that see other perspectives being part of the conversation. And honestly, I think we have not allowed, and I hate this word, Aaron knows I hate this word, I just haven't been able to find a better word yet, but single people, and I put that in scare quotes because I don't think single people are single people. I think they're as family as anybody else in the body of Christ. And so I, in my head, whenever I say that word, I actually I say to myself, family. Because what we all are is family, and I don't think we should index ourselves by whether we're married or not. That seems a very arbitrary division to me that separates us. It's just that it's a word. That, that, but for, So unmarried people in the church, I don't think have been given a voice for a long time to be part of the conversation that sets the table of the categories that we use with each other. Um, and whenever I have this conversation with unmarried people, it takes about three seconds for me to hear amen. Uh, it's just that I'm thinking, gosh, why did it take me so long to, to, to think about this? And I don't think I would have thought about this if I hadn't studied covenant and saw other ways of being family than, than simply marriage and nuclear family. Um, I think covenants would open my eyes to it, but there's, um, I, and I, I'm not sure the language um, you folks would prefer. I, I, I tend to say the side B, if, if that's okay. But I'll be honest, I think that the side B community, as I understand it, is one of the most prophetic voices the church has today uh, on this topic. And I think the side B community offers the wider church a gift that we have not had in a long, long time, uh, and that if we recognize that voice as a gift, could help the entire church rethink these very categories. Um, so I, I think this is an absolutely essential conversation, and that organizations like yours, uh, Christian uh, context to bring together folks uh, with the vocational orientation, I think, I, that's the language I would use, um, is just absolutely essential to the wider church. And, and I am doing everything I can to help other people uh, recognize that. Mm. Thanks for your supportive words. Yeah, it's all Ryan. 
Ryan speaks <laughs> on behalf of all side B people for creating this prophetic voice. No, that's, I hope that, I hope the side B community, I hope you're onto something. I hope that it leads, you know, it's, it's, it can be a tough road, you know, it's like life isn't easy, but like, I think I, I'd like to think that, um, both Yab and the greater side B world has, has something really pivotal to offer, offer the church. And it's still kind of early in this whole movement or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm curious to see in the decades to come where, where Yab goes, organizations like Revoice, other, other side B communities yes. and ministries. Yes. Like, I think, yeah, I, I really do believe there's a, a pivotal role to play there. I mean, I would say, and maybe this is, this happened to me this week. Um, a friend of mine who I, who loves the Lord and who's a good brother, uh, sent me in our, uh, a blog piece that he was like, he knows I'm, I'm doing sexuality research and he thought it would be helpful to me. And it was helpful, but in an ironic way. But uh, it was a piece arguing that side B people, uh, the side B movement is like this heresy that's entered the church. I had no idea this was even a perspective. <laughs> like I, I assumed every time someone would hear what, what the side B community is attempting to do, it'd be like, jump on board. And it's like, apparently not. Uh, so I, I realize now, at least as, as someone who wants to see myself as a, as a committed friend of side B folks, I realize I've got, there's another side to this. I, I, I need to become aware of and, and become an apologist, uh, a defender of. So it seems to me side B folks are getting really hit from both sides. Uh, people on the conservative side, you're too liberal and people on the liberal side, you're way too conservative. It's like, I don't know how that's happened, but uh, sign me up for wherever the allies group is for side B people. Cause that, that, that's where I want to be, and I want everyone else to join me there. So um, just know you're not alone in, in this, this really strange position of, of being a th- kind of like a th- what I think is an, I'm an Anabaptist. So I think of Jesus being primarily a third-way person. Whenever there's a, a cultural uh, binary debate, Jesus finds a way of showing both sides they're, they're wrong, and there's a whole new question that needs to be asked to understand the truth here. And I feel like side B folks are in that third way position, which is always difficult, but very Jesus-like. <laughs> it's uh, it's the place where Jesus lived is a, a third way dynamic, and I I think side B is precisely that. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. Um, I have sort of a big picture, abstract, maybe even foundational question. And then if we're ready, I'd love to ask another question to sort of zoom into this idea of covenant friendships. So the big picture question is, as I'm listening to you, I'm noticing that you use covenant as like, and sorry to everyone getting, I'm getting going to get grammatical here, but as an uncountable noun versus I'm used to talking about covenants as a countable noun. Um, And so that's like my first, my first little like flag to maybe, uh, maybe I understand this concept a lot, well, very differently from you, kind of from a very fundamental point of view. So I was just mm-hmm. wondering if you could speak a little bit about, you know, how how covenant is different from the idea of individual covenants. Um, yeah, let, let's hear about that. Sure. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I've never had anyone ask me that. Uh, so. I certainly believe in a covenant, both in the singular and the plural. Uh, I, I, when I use it in the singular, I th- what I'm uh, signaling there is this larger biblical category I see, again, 
that I define as uh, God's God's designed mechanism by which to create family relationships out of non-family people. So to me, that's the that's the broader category. So when I say covenant, I'm signaling that dynamic. Within that dynamic or category, I see multiple both types of covenants. So for example, uh, what I would consider to be the six major covenants of the Bible between God and human beings, so creational covenant, uh, Abrahamic, Noahic, Sinai covenant, Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. So those I would all call God-human covenants, um, but then also human-to-human covenants, marriage, friendship, uh, adoption, uh, obviously the siblinghood in Jesus Christ, um, just, just to name some of the ones that, that we could talk about. Those I would all call covenants. Uh, plural. They, they would be actual instantiations of the conceptual category of um, non-family becoming family. Uh, so that that's, does that help uh, clarify? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's kind of like water versus waters. Like there's, there's the substance of water yes, and then there's yes. like Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's like the substance, sort of the metaphysical substance of covenant. Yes. And then there's like marriage. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's a good cool, cool, cool. Um, so then, okay. So talking about like covenant friendships, um, one of my questions is like, do covenants, uh, I guess the way I've, I've thought about covenants in the past is that they kind of have these terms, almost like mm-hmm. a contract has terms. Um, is that is that also like the the way you think about covenants and like if so uh, what are the terms of a covenant friendship um, is that kind of like is there like a, a well accepted script for that or is it sort of free form and you sort of figure it out on your own and if so like how do we figure that out how how do people decide what the terms of that covenant friendship should be oh great questions uh, and I realized we when I gave my definition of covenant. Um, I, I didn't do it at all through the lens of, say, the, a covenant ceremony, which, of course, is the inaugural moment. It's the formation of the covenant. And uh, in, my, in the class I, I do, I, we spend quite a bit of time, as, as Aaron knows, going th- <laughs> uh, through the elements of a covenant. Um, I, just for pedagogical purposes, usually boil them down to 11 uh, common elements of ancient covenants. Don't have to go through all those now. But I would say... I've kind of thought a lot about this. What would be the the minimal number of elements necessary to a covenant, to the creation of a particular covenant? And in my mind, I've sort of boiled it down to four. I think there must be terms. I think there must be uh, promises or vows to those terms. I think there must be a sign of the covenant. And I think there must be witnesses. So I think those four elements, to me, uh, you know, I, yeah, obviously, if you know you're Adam and Eve, and there are no other human witnesses, then there's no witnesses. But but short of being on a deserted island or something, uh, I, I think witnesses and then terms, vows, and signs are are to me essential uh, to, to to the formation of covenant relationships. So applying that now to the question of a covenant friendship, um, obviously the 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 vow I do or I will or I'm in or some sort of verbal affirmation is pretty straightforward. So would would uh, I think witnesses be um, 
talking about this, this group of nine women that I, that I led in the ceremony, when we designed the ceremony, these obviously were some of the very questions we had to talk through. Um, they each invited uh, one or two witnesses, and there was nine of them. So there was about 25 people there, I think, who witnessed this along with us. Um, for their vows, back to, or for, excuse me, their terms that they vowed to, uh, they spent quite a bit of time, as I as they tell me, uh, discerning in prayer and then conversation together. What was it they were promising to? What what, what were these terms? And uh, I don't remember them off the top of my head, but they were very clear that what God was calling them to, or what I would say, the purpose of their covenant friendship wasn't just to like hang out and be good friends. Their purpose was that they were nine women in seminary that all had a sense of calling to ministry, but that being a woman in ministry is a difficult road. And so what they felt God was calling them to was to a, a communal covenant friendship to support and walk with each other till death do them part, their vocational callings as women in ministry. So it was very much an intentional kingdom purpose to the covenant, not just we like each other, let's let's hang out. And I, I wouldn't have said this before I met them, but having walked with them through this covenant and now the years hence, I've come to be convinced that it probably is wise to have a very distinct vocational purpose to a friendship covenant, not just to covenant because, hey, this is my best friend and we sort of want to be like, like siblings. Um, and I'll tell you part of why. I'm absolutely convinced now that as soon as anyone covenants with anybody, they've just invited God into their relationship in a uniquely powerful way. And at the same time, have invited a spiritual target on their back, both personally and relationally, for an enemy uh, that I believe is a very personal, tangible agent to destroy their relationship. And so I think at one and the same time, covenant is a, a gift from God and a target for Satan and the forces of evil to try to destroy. And uh, for that very reason, I think one must, one should discern a calling to a covenant that's worth fighting for because you will, in fact, have to fight for that, that covenant. Um, where does exclusivity in a covenant come from? Like what makes the marriage covenant exclusive? Uh, but like, and I guess the church covenant, my covenant with the church should be exclusive as well, but maybe a friendship covenant doesn't need to be exclusive. I, I think, so I'll answer the question from the perspective of not how it is happening in the world, but how it, I think it should happen if the church was doing things right. Uh, Sadly, I think what is happening, if we're being very honest with ourselves, is in terms of covenants in the church today, marriage gets the priority and everything else sort of follows after that and is in service to that, even to the point, let's be honest, of whether I continue to attend this church or not. Uh, if it's not, you know, feeding my kids and keeping them, you know, Christian and helping my marriage, well, then I go find a new church. I think this needs to be fundamentally turned on its head. I think our particular calling as sisters and brothers to a particular local church, which should function then 
analogously to my nuclear family, but it's my nuclear spiritual family, not my nuclear biological family, that that should be something I discern, we discern. And once we sense yes to that, that has should have the binding power of a nuclear family as much as biology does. Um, and if we could think that way, then the question becomes within our local church that we are now bound as committed brothers and sisters to be the people of God in this time and place for this mission. Now we have to ask ourselves other questions. Are any of us called to additional covenants? Some will be called to marriage. Some will not. Some will be called to particularize their friendships in a vocational way beyond simply brother and sister relationships. And I think it would be wonderful if the church could acknowledge that and could actually uh, celebrate covenant friendships as they do marriages, um, which would mean then would have to also have uh, not just marriage therapists for when marriages have difficulties, but friendship therapists, which notice no one ever does that. Uh, we, we would dignify friendship as important, as intangible, and therefore as when it's in trouble, we're saving as much as any marriage. All The church could do all of this. It could, it could be this countercultural because it gets the purpose that all of these relationships are, the purpose is to image the triune God in agape love within each of these. And so once you realize that's the purpose of every relationship, whether it's the church or the marriage or the friendship, then you realize every one of them are worth saving. Because when we don't save relationships, we put on display broken trinity. And that's, that's, that's it's an oxymoron. The trinity is not broken. It's, it's uh, you know, Jesus called, his final prayer in John 17, Father, let them be one as we are one so the world will know you sent me. Oh my goodness, like that's just Jesus's mission plan. We should be the experts on planet earth of salvaging relationships. Uh, to not do that is to, to not uh, fulfill Jesus's mission. And so for all those reasons, I think both being experts on covenant and being experts on reconciliation should just be second nature uh, to the church. How that fits with um, partnered celibacy relationships, I think is a really fascinating question. And um, I, I guess, honestly, I, I think I know a little bit about how partnered celibacy is being conceived of uh, today, but, I'm, but not certain enough to know where it would stop and start with regard to a covenant friendship. Um, I, I guess I'd have to ask you, are partnered celibus, celibate relationships, do they have terms and vows that people say yes to? If they do, I would say, well, then it is already a covenant. Um, and now we just have to specify what type of covenant is it? That's kind of off the top of my head where I, how, I, how I think about that. Yeah, I think um, you answered some of the important questions. I mean, I think some of the important questions you answered were, well, is this something just anybody should do? Or does this require some sort of vocation or extra calling? And I think maybe it's true that any covenant requires some amount of calling, right? And people are just entering into marriages without necessarily feeling that vocation or calling. Um, but uh, I guess one other question I've got is, can you have, should all these covenants be able to coexist? So I, I know the, the topic of the podcast today is not um, partnered celibate relationships or anything, Um 
I think in some senses, these a covenant friendship might look very similar to a partnered celibate relationship and others cases it may not. Um, and I guess my question is, would you think that a covenant friendship is going to coexist alongside the covenant of marriage or, yeah. you know, obviously the covenant with the church or are these in some way exclusive? And if they became exclusive for some reason, is that a red flag to you? Uh, I, I, I think I'll tell you where I stand on this question, though I'm open to being challenged because this is something I, I've only more recently begun to think about through the experience of the Daughters One Nine, this, this friendship circle of, of women I've walked with. Um, I think what I want to say to your question is that by its very nature, covenant is always exclusive. And I think why we have to say this is because if covenant takes non-family and produces family, it doesn't do that for everybody. I mean, not everyone's in the covenant. Uh, God's heart is for everyone to be, for example, in his covenant, the new covenant, but not everyone's in it. So I think there's a, 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 a sense in which covenant is always, by definition, exclusive. The question now becomes, how exclusive and exclusivity for what purpose? I happen to believe that Jesus in Matthew 19, uh, that if we read his, his teaching there on sexuality, I think Jesus is implicitly arguing for monogamy. So I think, I think we can anchor that in Jesus' teachings, and he, of course, appeals back to Genesis 2 for that. I, in friendship, it's a bit different because, as this group of, of women showed, there's nine friends. But when they come to my class, every year they get asked the question, how do your other friends feel about your friendships, you being in this covenant? And they all always talk about the fact that that's a, it's a bit of an awkward situation, that not every friend can join this covenant. It's the nine and no more. But they have other friendships, and they've had to, ne to negotiate how do you not have other people feel jealous, even though they're not in this covenant. And I'll just end by saying these nine women have agreed that their exclusivity is for the, here's the, their language they've developed, exclusivity for the purpose of greater inclusivity. And what they mean by that is their covenant friendships help them be better at their other relationships so that they can actually have more capacity to be in healthy relationships in other areas of their life. So I think if we think of it that way, uh, exclusivity for the purpose of greater uh, kingdom inclusivity, it can be always in the service of others. Yeah. Paul, that's awesome. I, I think I'm ready to get on a flight to uh, Minneapolis and just like attend a class. I think you've sold me. I'm ready. <laughs> hey, love to have you. Open invitation. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It would be awesome to, if you're open to coming back sometime, I feel like I would love to pick your brain on some more things. I feel like you have a lot to say and I'm just so encouraged. I hope our listeners are too. It's just like, um, I know a lot of, a lot of people in our, in our listenership come from all kinds of vantage points with the church and feeling all kinds of some, uh, some wounds, some distance, some, some just hard times connecting. So it's like really meaningful. It's meaningful to me to have, um, someone with as much passion as you do to, to see people connected and not left behind. So thank you for, thanks for coming on. It's really, it was awesome to just to talk to you about this. Uh, it seriously, it was an honor. I would love mm -hmm. to any time you'd, you'd want to have a follow-up and, you know, just in response to your, your comment about your audience in the church, honestly, uh, a big part of me, uh, since some will be listening to this is for me to say on behalf of the church to apologize 
just a, a huge apology for so many things of the way that um, the church has generally uh, treated SSA people and not been the family that, that we should have been. And I, I just hope that, that there is a, a season we are in now where this is starting to turn. And, and I, I just want to be part of that. Well, it's much appreciated. Thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome to, awesome to meet you, Paul. And Absolutely. hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's not the last time. All right. God bless you guys. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. All right. Much love, brother. Yep. Bye-bye. See you, Aaron. Bye. Paul Eddy, everybody. Wow, Aaron, where'd you find that guy? He's great. He's something, <laughs> I tell you. And where'd you, where'd you find him? That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for sharing him with us. Oh, yeah. If, even if that wasn't recorded, that would have just been a delight for my soul right. today. So thank you. The fact that hopefully a few hundred people listening can be blessed yeah. by it. That would be, that's awesome too. I'm going to need an hour to review my notes and come up with <laughs> uh, stuff to say. We'll or... reconvene. Yeah. yeah. We'll reconvene <laughs> really? in 60 minutes and have a breakout session. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I saw, I saw Ryan huddled over taking some notes. Um, I took some notes on my phone as, as he was speaking. Um, and so We've got a little bit of time. I kind of intentionally did it this way. Sometimes we have guests for the whole episode and sometimes we have them for part of the episode. And I thought it'd be really special to have kind of an in-house little conversation with the three of us now to talk about um, what Paul shared. And we certainly could have talked, we easily could have talked to him for another hour, two hours. So so part of me wants to have a sequel um, to, to keep picking his brain on some things. But um, I thought it would be cool to talk to you guys about, about, this, uh, about this subject. And I guess, Aaron, let's go straight back to you because you actually took the full length course like tell our listeners like like how long was the course how often did you meet like what what it how did this podcast recording compare with like actually going through a course over x number of days yeah obviously it it just barely scratches the surface he's he's one of those people where he would write a lot more books except he is too busy always researching more like he just needs to know more about (laughs) the subject more about the topic and Mm. It's us, it's his colleagues, it's people kind of going, okay, Paul, you got to get some of those nuggets of wisdom out onto a page, even if maybe in 10 years you think differently. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I've reached out to him and asked him for, for resources on some of these topics, and I'll get hundreds of pages of Word docs that are all just non-annotated links to sources. And so he knows his stuff. Um Now, the course lasted a semester. I ended up auditing it twice, uh, once while I was in college and once after leaving college, I went back and did it again. Um, And that just goes to show how much there is to try to soak in and how going through it twice, I still feel like I I could sit through it again and again and try to soak up more. Um, For me, one of the things that really worked well is he goes into covenant theology a little bit and he talks he spends the first chunk of the class talking a fair bit about our covenant with God. And that really impacted how I understand my faith and my relationship with God, seeing it as a covenant relationship, understanding as part of that, you know, he goes through the different components of covenant, what really make a covenant versus a contract is something that he goes quite a bit into. Um, And then he goes through, you know, so he kind of does covenant with church and God is one chunk of the class. And then covenant marriage is another chunk. And then covenant friendship uh, is kind of the third portion. So, you know, he normally spends 
multiple weeks just on covenant friendship, you know, let alone everything else. And obviously when you've talked about the other covenants, there's a lot of comparing, contrasting and, um, you know, piecing out how do these things work together apart. Uh, so it's, it's great. I, I wish, wish we had time to just do an entire podcast series of him just teaching his class online for us. But, but I think what he shared today was, was a very good introduction to the conversation. And that's what I would consider this podcast today is mm-hmm. just the beginning of a conversation about covenant friendship and covenant really in general, rather than people going great. Yab has now fleshed out completely what covenant friendship is and we're ready to go do right. with it as we will. So, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's rare that we do a podcast topic or write a blog or what have you and, and cover everything and we've, right. covered, and we've solved it and now we're ready to move on to the next thing. Like, as always, this is a conversation starter. This is the hopefully first dive into something like this. And we hinted a little bit during the episode or during the, the, I always feel awkward calling it an interview. I don't want to, I don't want to be an interviewer. I just want to be a fellow human, you know, but whatever that was, whatever we just had with him, um, hinting at partnered celibacy as well. Like that's another topic that I feel like is definitely something worth diving into on a deeper basis. I know members of our community have, have reached out to me about that. And so this is like, again, we're, we're getting, we're getting our feet wet. We're getting conversations started and, um, and I'm excited to kind of see both where this conversation goes today in this conversation, in this podcast, but then, um, yeah. And podcasts to come community events to come blog posts, discord posts to come. Like, um, yeah, I just hope that a conversation like that can, can lead to, to deeper dives. Cause yeah, I don't know. I'm just really encouraged by, by that guy. Whenever I see straight people in general, but especially people with, with reach with an audience, authors, pastors, professors, what have you, like, um, like that's super encouraging to me. Tom, you make it sound like we're like wrapping up the episode, but we're really just getting started. We are just getting started. Yeah. So how about it? Covenant friendships? Are we, are we doing this? Are we on board? <laughs> okay. Well, let's start there because I, I admittedly, this was an episode I told Aaron this, like, it was so fun to just be able to hand him the reins. Cause like, this is not a topic I'm familiar with, like really at all. I read about it in scripture and I see certain relationships. So I have like a base knowledge, like 2000, 3000 years removed. Um, but I don't have any kind of interaction with this, um, in the present day. And so it was fun to like, let Aaron plan this out a little bit and, and talk and let him lay it out. So, so the, the way, the way, uh, Paul laid it out terms, promises, signs, and witnesses. Um, that's, that's like the essence of, of covenant and yeah, I'd be curious to hear what y'all's thoughts are on all of those because, well, I have, I have anxieties about this, but I'm going to, sh- I'll get to that later. So maybe let's go to Aaron because you took this course. Like, where are you at with the notion of covenant friendship? Does it intrigue you? Does it daunt you? Does it, what, what does it do? What does it strike up in you? I think over the years, it's done a lot of different things to me. I, I think, especially when I was early on in processing through my sexuality, coming to terms with the idea of being celibate, this gave me hope of family. And sometimes that was healthy and other times it was very much me looking for a way to have something as close to a spouse as I could, minus maybe the sex. Um, We didn't get into it today, but Paul would talk about how sex is a sign of the marriage covenant. Um, And so that would be one reason why sex is so exclusive to marriage. But I think 
where, you know, obviously with, with partnered celibacy, there's a very different spectrum of what people think of when they think of that and what they understand it as. And there have been times when I've seen this as, um, you know, a way to get the family I want, particularly when I am attracted to a guy and I want to be close to them and I want to be exclusive and I want all these things. And I think that's not as healthy. Um, but over the years, and as I've kind of grown through this, I've seen this as something that could be vocationally very helpful for some people in the SSA world um, as a way to have, have family that, you know, is, is on the same journey as you and maybe is trying to do the same things, ministering in the same way. Uh, but never, never do I think this should be used as as uh, a replacement for marriage. And something he didn't mention um, really explicitly is many of those women in that Daughters One Nine Covenant Friendship are married. Um, some are not, oh, some plot are. twist. Yeah, so uh, when he's talking about exclusivity of covenants, he's not necessarily saying that you can't be in a friendship covenant and a marriage covenant, but rather that I think maybe if you're in a friendship covenant that kind of to some extent has exclusivity with other relationships and other friendships and vice versa mm-hmm. um, with other yeah. marriage covenants and things. But he described adoption as a covenant, which I thought was really interesting. And I hadn't thought of before, oh, but you can, yeah. you can adopt, adopt multiple kids. So right. I'm, yeah, still, I'm still a little, I have more questions about the exclusivity angle. Yeah. Here's like, that's, that was because I took like three or four notes down and ex- exclusivity. Let's go there. Cause that's my biggest anxiety with it. Like when he's talking about friends choosing one another, like it all sounds great. There's a lot of, there's a lot of it that I actually really deeply resonate with the idea of choosing people, not just one person. Like I I would be more inclined to like choose like that. What are they called? Daughters one nine. So epic. I would want an epic name too. Like that's so great. But anyway, um, all that's great and all I would, I would love to have multiple people to lean on instead of just one person. That's just how I'm wired. But but there is this thing in me and I feel it with Yab and I feel it with just in general. Like I have this thing in me that I get anxious when I know that somebody's left out or when I feel like they're not as in as other people are, maybe not left out totally in the cold, but, but if they're not as close with somebody and they want to get in. And so the, the thing that starts messing with me when I start thinking about this is like, what if you had five people just to pick a round number, if you had five people who are all good friends with one another, they liked each other, they hung out with her more than just liking each other there. That was the other thing I wrote down was like having a purpose. Like, what is this more than just, we all like each other and don't want to die alone. Like there's gotta be something more to it than that. I think. Um, but what if there's a sixth person who's close with three of those people, but not the other person. And then, it's like, do you have one massive covenant with everyone or do you have multiple covenants going with these three people and then with these four people? Like that's where it gets a little hairy for me and the exclusivity thing hurts me because I'm inevitably just always looking at who's who's 80% of the way to where I am 100% with this person. And and it just, I don't know, it just like makes me heavy with emotion and I, I start collapsing <laughs> like a dying star. So I don't know what to do with wow. that. Wow, <laughs> sad. Um... Well, that's a great question, actually. And so with the Daughters One Nine, not all of those women really were very close to each other, even knew each other when the conversation started. It was kind of a conglomeration of different groups. And I'm basing this off of memory, so I may not be recalling everything perfectly. But um, I think the biggest thing is a, a shared sense of vocation and calling and a lot of discernment of letting God guide who is or is not inside that covenant. 
And the exclusivity really coming into play once the covenant's formed and not so much maybe in the formation of the covenant. Um, so, you know, you might have a six person pre-covenant who for some reason or another, somebody really wants in there, or you feel vocationally called to them. And I don't think like that's the stage where you have to be worried about being exclusive based on how well, you know, people are not, mm. uh, and they live all over the world. They live all over the country. So, yeah. So it's not like they're all living together. That was something we didn't get to. Yeah. But, Cause I knew a little bit, I remember you sharing about this, this group, Aaron, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago or something, but, um, but yeah, they don't live together. So it's not like a, a monastery or a, whatever you would call it. Right. A right. Monastery. Yeah. <laughs> a nunnery. Yeah. Do nuns live in a nunnery? Is that what that's called? I think so. Yeah. Convent. Convent. I think, I think a nunnery a is a word. I don't know. Get I'm sorry. A nunnery, but I don't, I, I, I think that's a, look how confident a little <laughs> Just go archaic. That. that could be. <laughs> the nun factory. Yeah. That's where they all live. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I know that's, that's, I'm glad, I'm glad we clarified that, that they don't live all together. Some are married. Yeah. So there's, there's layers to it. It's not just like, yeah. I don't know what people's vision of what was described was earlier, but yeah. So there's uh, the, kind of the the dimension i've been thinking about all the all the dimensions we can use to identify a covenant kind of like there's you know a a point in three-dimensional space x y and z there's these three dimensions we can use to sort of address the point like find where the point is and so for covenant there's like i was trying to think of what are all the different dimensions of a covenant like how are the what are the independent ways covenants can differ from each other and so like there's the number of people in a covenant there's you know marriage covenant has two people um daughters one nine has nine people so you can say like you know there's part of the definition what what makes one covenant like different from another is how many people there are in it there's this question of exclusivity um you know like marriage covenants are highly exclusive um and then maybe there's sort of a spectrum where there's i mean like you're uh, we look at like Nashville family of brothers and they're open to new people coming in and making and covenanting into that community. And so there's some, op- there, there's, okay. Okay. I'm, I'm already confusing like two different dimensions here. I was going to bring it. There's the exclusivity dimension. And then there's like openness to new people dimension where like, uh, Nashville family brothers could be very exclusive. They could be like, okay, you're ride or die with us and nobody else. But they're also, I don't know if that's true or not, but but they're also open to new people to join that covenant. And so those are like kind of two different questions. There's the exclusivity of once you're in, what are the expectations? Uh, and But then like, are we open to new people? You know, your marriage is not open to new people, but um, but like something something else could be open to new people. So I don't know. It's just so interesting to think of like just, uh, I don't know if you'd call it systematically, but what are what are all the like kind of formal ways that we can I- identify a covenant and describe it? Yeah, for any who aren't um, familiar with what Ryan just rattled off, um, National Family Brothers, uh, led by Peter Vock, we had him on the episode or on the show rather, um, episode seventy-one, intentional community. So if you want to listen to that episode, go scroll back down memory lane with Peter Vock. Um, and yeah, they they are open to, to new people joining along the way. So, so that's interesting that there's different ways, um, you could go about it. So again, there's like, there's this thing in me that 
that likes the idea, you know, I'm a four, I like the idea of blazing a new trail, doing something different, doing something that no one else is doing. And, and in many ways, that's what's hugely appealing to me about this side B world, about all these communities popping up and um, being a part of something. And it was, it was like, really, I almost started crying inside when he's talking about how like, the side B community is a prophetic voice for the church. Like, I, I've been hoping that myself, but I'm like, I, I hope that's true. I hope straight people can see some value in what we're doing. And so to hear him just have such glowing words for, for Yab and for, for the side B community, like that was, that was huge for me. So, so all that to say, I like the idea of blazing a new trail and doing something no one else is doing. I'm not going to let that stop me. Like, just because no one else has done it, who cares? Like, why should that stop? If, if we believe in something, if we feel like the Lord is calling us or inviting us into something, especially to lead other people, like that's, that's a huge impetus for me actually. But I guess, yeah, I just had so many questions and so many just emotional relational anxieties about it that I just, I struggle with it. I don't want to run away from it, but I want to like, I want to lean into those questions, I guess, as, uh, as I pro continue to process what, uh, what Paul was telling us earlier. I think one of my fears is what I mentioned earlier that when I was first tackling this issue and thinking through all this, like I wanted very much to base my dream of covenant off of romantic attraction or sexual attraction, or like finding the guy that I wish I could marry, but I can't and having a covenant with him. And that's my worry is that other people might try to do the same thing. I don't think that's necessarily, I, I think that is not what this is trying to get at or what, friendship covenant is supposed to be. And I've seen some partnered celibate relationships that are like that. Um, certainly not all of them, but some that have, have been like that. And I just think it's important to try hard to not base like our, our best friends or who we commit to or who we are relationally close to on our sexual attraction, romantic attraction. Um, and I would say maybe instead thinking through, you know, like our spiritual attraction, our emotional attraction, our attraction to them as a friend and as a human and spiritually in the way that God draws us together, kind of with, with David and Jonathan, how their very souls were knit together. Like I would think that's some sort of spiritual attraction of sorts. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a new path forward though. So interesting to think through. Yeah, I think that, you know, for those of us who have decided that God's calling in our life means to forego sex, we shouldn't be surprised if the calling also means uh, foregoing, making decisions based on sexual attraction. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's a really important, you know, angle to consider. Also, you know, my... <laughs> one, one thing I find tempting, I think part of me finds tempting about this idea of covenant friendships is a mechanism or platform for like legitimizing my jealousy over my friends um, and saying like, hey, you're not allowed to be that close to this other person because uh, mm. I feel threatened by it. Um, and so like, I, yeah, like covenant, a covenant would be a way to like, underpin that and legitimize it and like that's dangerous right <laughs> if there's something yeah if there's anything i've learned in the, of the 11 years of being in this side b ish world it's that we we gay ssa boys have a lot of emotions and a lot of jealousy and a lot of just 
there's just a lot. There's a lot there. It's not to say again. It's not to say this isn't worth pursuing or worth ironing out. But there's there's things to iron out. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. I would have so much to iron out about this. Um, but there's I don't know. There's there's something in it that it's worth at the very least exploring. So so I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by this conversation. Something that I really loved. I loved. I had a couple of chuckles. Was um, when he mentioned we have therapists for marriage, but why not for friendship? Like I want a friendship therapist. <laughs> Can you, I get a friendship therapist? You've needed a friendship therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I talk about my friends with my therapist, but that's not his designation. That's not his role. Uh, so like, right. I, don't know, I thought that was so funny. That yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Why not, like I, why not have a friendship therapist? I've been listening to this podcast. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's from Christianity Today. Mm. It's about Mark Driscoll's church, Mar Mars Hill, and, and just everything that went down there. And, um, and one, one thing they keep kind of like, repeating is like we we can't lose sight of the fact that this is a church where like uh lives were changed and marriages were saved and addiction was healed and, and this stuff and and i thought of that phrase where marriages are saved and like that's kind of like okay great but but listening to paul made me realize i've never heard anyone say about a church this is a place where friendships are saved mm, yeah like that's just sort of like part of the uh part of the i guess devaluation of friendship um in our in our time and place uh, or part of at least the lack of imagination of how important and good friendships are and how worthy of saving they are that no one celebrates like oh this friendship is saved kind of like when a, a marriage is saved <laughs> that's true yeah. yeah it's like friendship's not even secondary it's kind of feels more more levels below that um I guess before we go, I wanted to look at his the the whole the whole concept of coming. Going back to that, I referenced it earlier: terms, promises, signs, and witnesses. Um, when he said, "Okay," so when he when he said that they should have promises like "I do" or "I will," I was trying to think like what would be like what would be uh, a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of men saying making a promise to learn. What would they say? And I just wrote down, "Yeah, boy." Yeah, yeah boy. boy, I will. Yeah, boy. There it is. You found it. You found the terminology. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, like what? I don't even know. What am I trying to say? I really like, okay, going back to the daughters one nine, I like that they were all in seminary together at the same time. It was a very defined, like, and we don't know them. I don't know them. You don't know them. Like, it's just like, we don't know their interrelational dynamics. Like some are in, undoubtedly closer with others. I can't imagine they're all just on an even wavelength the entire time. So there's, there's a dynamicness to, to their relationships, but, but I like that it's all rooted at the single juncture in time. They all embarked on this mission together and they just wanted to, to be there for each other, for lack of a better way of saying it, to, to be there till death do them part. So um, that to me is really appealing. Like what if there was, yeah, something beyond romantic attraction, sexual attraction. Um, they don't have to all be like, we're talking about it as folks in the side B community, but like, what if it was side B guys, married, straight guys, other single people, like, but if there was a defined moment in time that you could all point back to as like, yeah, we were a part of something then, and we want to be a part of something until death do us part. And exclusivity with the goal of inclusivity. Like I like, I like how he put that. It's 
undoubtedly hard, like it's not as easy to live out as it's as you can rattle it off your tongue but like i like that idea of like we're going to commit to each other so we can commit to the people around us like that's that's super appealing to me and so again i have lots of questions about how that works how that plays out but um but yeah i i wish i had something that i could point to like seminary or i don't know some kind of job or career placement or ministry placement somewhere i don't know like that's kind of nebulous to me at this juncture yeah, that's the sticking point for me. You know, I think like like a lot of our listeners probably, I'm listening to this and thinking, man, I really want the sense of commitment, the sense of security, the sense of uh like like you said, who who do I come home to? Like even mm-hmm. if it's not literally somebody in my house, like who do I come home to? Who is home to me? Um I want that I want that person in my life. But I also recognize what he said that, like, I, that is really, I I think what that is meant to also be is somebody who, um, who, who I'm called to and, and who shares a calling with me, who I find running beside me as I run towards some finish line that is, that is not that other person. Right. Um, Mm. And yeah. And so I guess I just, uh, that, that's my sticking point. Like I said, that I have to figure out like before I can decide I'm going to make some covenant to somebody, some, some friendship covenant to somebody, I have to figure out like, okay, what, what are we both called to and running towards together? Um, and that's, that's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big question. I think for some people anyway, just simply being called to celibacy and trying to abstain from what the culture and the church throws at us constantly is enough. Like I were in our side B world and in some ways it feels really big to us. Like how would I pick out of the side B community, like who I want to covenant with, but we're still very, very much a minority in the larger picture of the church and the culture. So I think, you know, kind of that idea of those women covenanting together because they knew it was going to be hard to be women in ministry. Like we know it's going to be hard to just be Christians in the world. Mm. Like there's not really a part of the world is going to be easy being an SSA LGBTQ plus Christian um, committed, even committed to traditional sexual ethics. Like it just doesn't, it's not easy. Um but I don't, th- I'm, I don't think that's enough, but I think that's enough of a foundation for if God does call people to covenant, like that is very much a common vocation. And maybe there's other vocations that will have nothing to do with anybody's sexuality, whether that's missional or something else. You know, I think people shouldn't only look at it through the view of their own sexuality, but yeah. In my head, I'm just trying to like picture what would a... What would like a covenant ceremony look like, whether I was involved or if I was attending one, like I would have been very curious to attend that, like mm-hmm. a daughter's one nine covenants, like just to like, because I can't even picture what, what it would look like. Like, do they all dress up? Do they do their hair that day? Do they, who, who attends? Like, like who do you invite to that? <laughs> is Paul like standing in the front, like a pastor at a wedding and like all of the women like walk down the aisle? And... Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I just... 
I just want to visualize it, you know? It was in one of their backyards and they had chairs. And I don't know how it all functioned really, but I think it was wedding. <laughs> they had life. chairs, everybody. Yeah, they had chairs for all the guests <laughs> lined up in rows. That's that's <laughs> sounding a little too close to marriage to me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'd be curious, like, who, yeah, who you invite to that, who wants to come to that, who's intrigued by it, who's put off by it. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not necessarily put off, but I, I just, I just want to explore it, I guess, see, see what it's all right. about. Right. Like, who do you choose as your witnesses and how do you explain, like, what's about to happen and what they're about to witness and will they just inherently support that? Especially as side B people, like, if we were to covenant with other guys, I feel like there'd be a lot of suspicion from uh, yeah. family mm-hmm. or friends going, yeah, you say yeah. this is covenant friendship, but what's really going on here? What's going on tricky. behind closed doors between the the five of you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the five of you. <laughs> <laughs> the perception thing that's like, we shouldn't be governed by what people think of us. Like, so I, and I, I understand that, but then inevitably that's, I think about that. Like I, I always think about how I'm perceived. And so that's, That's another layer. I mean, there's so many layers to it. Ever since I was a kid, I just remember this longing for a best friend. I'd see the best friends on TV shows or movies and see the pairings, the triplings happening around me in my classrooms. And there's always a sense of just wanting It seemed to come so easily, so naturally for the boys in my classrooms and for those on the screens that I watched. I can remember reading in Proverbs 18.24 about a friend who sticks closer than a brother and wondering who was that? Where was he? Where were they? Would I ever find such friendship in my life? At times it's been a deep longing and certainly at others, it's been an unhealthy obsession, an idolization, something I certainly sought after more than God himself, more than his word, more than whatever purposes or plans he had for me. It's funny in a non-funny kind of way now looking back Because if you were to ask me when I was eight years old, would I want a covenant friendship, someone who would be there, literally through it all, till the day we died? I'd have answered enthusiastically, yes. Where do I sign on the dotted line for that friendship? And yet something strange has happened in adulthood where suddenly the gravitas of it all, the commitment, involved is daunting. I recognize the value of one's word and have seen promises fallen apart in friendships that didn't survive over the years. And I guess the cynical part of me wonders if I signed my name to something and someone else did too, would the other person stand true? Would I? Or is this far beyond two people or three people or nine people agreeing to be there for each other if God is in their midst, if he's the glue holding everything together, not our wills, not our ways, 
but his. Like many in our community, I've long been gripped by the story of David and Jonathan, their special bond, their special friendship, their covenant with one another. We see the first descriptions of this covenant in 1 Samuel 18. The first five verses of the ESV read as follows. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. And I appreciate that this isn't the end of the story, that it gets significantly more difficult for David and Jonathan. Just a couple chapters later, in 1 Samuel 20, Saul begins to feel threatened by the young shepherd boy, son of Jesse. And it speaks volumes that Jonathan, the next of kin to Saul, who should be the next king of Israel, cares far more about his friendship, about his covenant with David than his father, than the kingship. Starting in verse 16, the covenant expands. The scripture says, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And the story goes that David and Jonathan set up a system to where Jonathan could warn David of his father's intentions after David's absence at the night's previous dinner. And verses 35 through 42 show the moving moment between these two friends, these two friends in covenant, their first real test of the oath, the promise that they swore. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing, only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And so, my brothers, 
those with friendships many and long-standing, deep and true, and those with fewer, even without, dry and longing. May the God of love, the God of covenant, stand strong in your midst. May you ever remember this eternal covenant made with you and, and may you ever love others as you have been so dearly loved. May this God of covenant provide friends who stick closer than brothers, someone to weep alongside, someone to catch your tears as you catch his, someone to enter the battle with, someone whose armor to wear when you are without, someone to fight for when his strength runs out. May we this day bless and in turn be blessed. For our God is for us. He is for love and he is love. And by his covenant from generation to untold generations yet, we are never alone. Yeah, so as we've said multiple times, this is a first first chapter in a very long conversation. So we'd love to hear y'all y'all's thoughts though. If this is a brand new topic, as I'm sure it is for many people listening, uh, if you have thoughts, if you have questions, if you want to just share, yeah, share what today's episode brought up in you, um, we would love to hear what you have to say. Go to our podcast episode page at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast and go ahead and check out episode 83 posts on covenant friendship and tell us what you feel <laughs> about all of this. Um, yeah, I, I would love to see the comment section or leave us a voicemail. This is another great opportunity for, for people who are bold and daring to uh, leave us a voicemail at 706-389-8009. Um, tell us, yeah, tell us what you're feeling about this episode and we'd love to share it with the greater uh, Yab audience if you feel so bold to do so. Ryan, Aaron, it was great covenanting with you on this episode. I, I used that word wrong. I didn't use it right. But no, we, wanted... we did not have a ceremony. We did not have a sign. We did not have vows. We did not have witnesses. My sign is that, witness, I, I can you guys see my sign? I'm sweating through my armpits in this <laughs> hot studio. Witnesses. That is my sign that I suffered through this episode. <laughs> I feel like this was, this was an epic episode to <laughs> end on <laughs> for the season, the stretch of episodes, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, it was such a great conversation. One of my favorites we've ever done. And I think it's kind of appropriate now we have a month or so to chew on it and then we'll come back. We'll come back after the retreat, you guys, and we will reopen this show again. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks for all your support as always. Um, we'll be back very soon. So for all your other brothers, my name is Tom. This is Ryan. And I'm Aaron. Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. See you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Our show is edited and produced by Thomas Mark Zuniga. Theme music is Fear Is Not My Lover by Nathan Rousseau. We'd love to hear your story. Comment on this or any of our episodes at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Or share a story to play back on our show by calling us at 706-389-8009. You can also email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com or write to us at Your Other Brothers, P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. If you enjoy our show, consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Your Other Bros. 
Finally, if you'd like to further support our storytelling and community building efforts, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly on Patreon and receive perks like bonus podcast content, access to a secret Facebook group, regular group calls with fellow patrons and authors, and more. Visit patreon.com slash you're the bros for more information. Until we journey next time, we're glad you're with us.